Hi, everyone, and welcome to Millennium Live, our digital diary podcast. We sit down with the top C-suite executives and talk all things digital transformation. Sitting down with former CIO of AIG, Phil Fasano, we were sure to have a good chat on the world of digital transformation. Phil also serviced as CIO at a number of top companies, including Kaiser Permanente, Capital One, and J.P. Morgan Chase, to name a few. After this run, he started his own strategic advisory firm, Bay Advisors, supporting numerous companies across the country. We are here with Millennium Live at the Digital Enterprise and FSI Transformation Assembly in beautiful Miami, and I'm lucky enough to be joined by Phil Fasano, the CEO of Bay Advisors. Thank you for joining us, Phil. Thanks very much for having me. So you've had a long and successful career. Um, what do you put that down to, and also what are you striving for you know, in 2019? Well, I, as far as my long career, it's uh, been good fortune of being able to recruit terrific people and work with brilliant people who have really enhanced my ability to do the things I've done over my career. They're just, uh, I have to speak about the people because it's always about them. Uh, and, you know, I've been privileged to, to be surrounded by great people that work with me as well as people I've worked with and learned from. Uh, 2019, uh, today I'm now spending my time as a director, board director, and as a business advisor to uh, senior management teams on everything from strategy to fundraising to uh, product and product development. So it's, uh, it's an entirely different phase of career, and it's leveraging a different set of uh, skills and perspectives. So last night, you gave all of our attendees a fantastic keynote. Thank you very much. You talked you know, about transformation and all your experiences and you know, sharing some tips for everyone as well. But one of the key things um, you talked about was the culture. You know, you're just talking about people. How critical is it to have the culture behind a, a major transformation? Uh, often, culture doesn't start behind uh, a major transformation. Culture is what it is in each organization. It's, you know, it's comprised of you know, sometimes decades-long development of who that organization is and how it, you know, what their norms are. You have to understand that you need to learn the culture and appreciate it. You even need to, at times, pay homage to it uh, and ensure that uh, the people that you're working with know you appreciate who they are, what they are, and how they identify to get permission from them to develop what's going to be the next generation of culture, whether it's innovation that you're after or whether it's an entirely new business model that you're after. Understanding who everyone is and what makes them tick is critical. But then bringing them into the circle you're in when you're thinking about the future and having them make that their own. And the culture change is really about people evolving a culture, not robustly changing it overnight. It's truly a, a stepwise evolution of a business, a set of people, an organization, an approach to business, the way people interact, the way they do business, the way they work. So it's, uh, it's really engaging on a continuous basis. About you know, approach, uh, how did you go in you know, through all the transformations you've led, uh, your approach to, as you said last night, being the disruptor and being that person who is literally going to go in and disrupt you know, the entire company? You know, it, it's hard for me when I join an organization not to want that organization to be better, to, be, to, ha to have more, to have more opportunities, to be more successful, to, be, to deliver better service, better product, um, even if they're, they're great at what they do. There's always room for improvement. Um, when I was younger, being a disruptor was really being blunt and trying to get people to see what you saw. 
as I've learned how to work better with people and frankly get along with people, it's really about helping others see the opportunity in what you see and engaging them in how to get there. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it's not an easy thing to do. It takes an, uh, an awful, as I said last night, it takes a lot of your time. The time it, you know, pays major dividends in terms of getting an outcome for an organization and for its customers and all of its other constituents as well, including employees, by the way, because the journey is hard, but the payoff needs to be significant for the employees of the company in that their work is better, more, more delightful, if you will, um, more interesting, more satisfying. So one of the you know, other lessons I really took from last night is you were sharing about being that executive leader and having been in that position. What is your tip to the current executives in terms of you know, they're under so much pressure and being able to you know, manage everything and strive for that transformation? The one thing I can say is if you're in a public company, quarterly pressure, in fact, monthly pressure is so overwhelming. Yeah. And in today's world, you add the dimension of activism to that where management teams are always under a microscope to deliver that next quarter in a way that's going to pop the stock because investors, particularly the activist investors, want that pop so that they can take their profits home. That's one constituent. You have to, as a, as a leadership team and as a, as a group of colleagues, understand that your responsibility, particularly in senior management, is to shepherd in the best way possible the firm you're leading for the future and for the next generation, both of leaders inside the company and of customers and of all your constituents, it isn't just a single constituent you're playing to. Very difficult to do because of those quarterly pressures. So I, I, I appreciate that. At the same time, you have an obligation to manage the firm for a long-term uh, future, and, and you, you really do have that responsibility to shepherd it effectively. In the not-for-profit space, as much as you would think there's none of that pressure, the same pressure exists, although you don't have activism. You have the need to deliver profits so that you can then use those profits for good. And you know, it's really focused on continuously improving the communities you're operating in, as well as the business that you're, you have the honor of leading. Yeah, and that's a good point, because it's also basically you have donors and boards who are essentially shareholders, and then you know, the, the communities in, you know, that you're you know, helping. That's right. And, and you know, many not-for-profits get sideways. Some of them make too much money, and then all of a sudden it becomes a, a, a question within the community of why is that so, um, and others get sideways with compensation and whatnot. But you need to pay people for what they're worth and what they're delivering to get the best executives to shepherd a not-for-profit forward so that it's here in a very sustainable way and is delivering value both inside its walls and outside its walls in the community it operates either through community benefit or you know, financial benefit or personal involvement of, their, uh, of the people in the organization in making the community a better place to live, work, better health, uh, and so on. So switching gears a little, so you know, with all the companies you've worked for and, you know, and the work you're doing now, what really excites you about the leadership that you're seeing within companies that you're working with? What's been great over the past two years, I've had the privilege of working with now 12, 14 different CEOs and founders of companies and some CEOs of a couple of not-for-profits that I'm on the board of, I have to say that you become very inspired both by the work they're doing, the problems they're trying to solve. In many cases, they're trying to solve problems that heretofore have not been solved, either in the information security space or financial services or healthcare. The work that they're doing is truly world-changing. It's very interesting to see so much of that. It makes you a true optimist in the future of business, in the future of 
companies and frankly in the in uh, in in the in the fu for the future of you know just human beings and how we're living people are also focused on things that we just didn't focus on a decade or two ago i mean being a green company and yeah. making sure that you're sustainable from that perspective while delivering great product and service is on a lot of CEOs' minds and, and uh, a lot more than you would think. And it plays into how they build their business, create their products, services, and ultimately deliver their, their uh, capabilities. Yeah. You're seeing a lot of innovation happen. And I know, you know healthcare, you've you know, obviously led some big transformations in healthcare. What are you seeing you know, in healthcare now that really you know, excites you in a growing space? We used to call them miracles, and I think there's many of those, and, and, and I'm really excited about what I'm seeing in, in, the, in the cancer care development and diabetes care and ultimately some cures that are, you know, yeah. that are on the horizon, near-term horizon, which I would have thought would be decades away. In the technology space, purely building bridges across health systems so that regardless of where a patient is, you know, your physician or anyone who's caring for you has all the data about you all the time, rather than you carrying your folio in and having to remember, um, you know, the last prescription you ordered and uh, when you took it. That information is available. It's in someone's set of data. There are companies now pulling that data together and then offering, through the use of artificial intelligence, advice to physicians on what the next best treatment for you is to improve your health or what the care gap was in terms of someone failed somewhere in the system, or you did, in uh, something as simple as refilling a prescription where they can actually say you need to do that because you know, these things will happen that are good for you as a consequence, improving just the common health of, of everyone in the United States in particular. I'm very excited about that. I'm re I really am. I'm involved with one company there that's doing some very special work. I'm really, in, you know, and, and for, for me, it becomes personal because, you know, you have, everyone is touched by some disease in their family or in friends. And I'm seeing people come together with technologies that are truly curative where they would save lives. And that's a material step, I think, for society. And it's also making the unsolvable solvable for the first time in at least my lifetime uh, across that spectrum. Now, I'm not a physician but I can get just as excited as they can about some of these things. Would you say that, you know, healthcare compared to a lot of the other industries you're you know, working in is, you know, really the leading in terms of innovation and, you know, transformation? I think healthcare being science-based is a natural for innovating and it's yep. just core to the industry, but I wouldn't say it's, it's top, top tier or, you know, any, or on a, or average. I mean, I think in every industry, you know, whether it's financial services, whether it's oil and gas, whether it's healthcare, you know, and then you could pick any other sectors that you know are interesting to you. Every sector is innovating. Every sector is innovating, and I think the the tech industry, for the, you know, it's always given us innovations, usually one at a time. During at least my career, all of a sudden, it's poured a whole bunch of innovations onto the world yeah. that, when taken together collectively, allow us to solve problems we couldn't conceive of just a few years ago at a scale that we couldn't create technology unless we had billions to do it, which now makes it affordable and practical for almost every organization to solve some of the biggest challenges that they face and do so as innovatively as I've ever seen. So I wouldn't single out a single industry. I'd just say everyone has that opportunity, and I think in a lot of places are taking it. Yeah, that's a really good point. So you, you've led technology enterprises in you know, some of the biggest financial institutions in the world. 
a lot of people now, you know, with financial services saying it's being heavily disrupted. Where do you kind of see, you know, the financial services industry on a technology scale at the moment? That's a good question. And I, I'll, it, that becomes very personal for me because I, I started my career in financial services. And at the time, and this is during the 1980s, even Microsoft was a fairly new company. Yeah. We were you know, in financial services. I speak about that as a we. we. We were as an industry leveraging technology and doing financial innovation, financial product innovation at the same time. And the confluence of that was truly remarkable in terms of the kinds of things we were able to accomplish as an industry and put in place. I think I've been over, overly disappointed in what financial services did with technology, particularly during and, and shortly after the crisis, the financial crisis. Um, and I think now there's a resurgence. The challenge the industry has is that quarterly pressure I spoke of earlier and the need to deliver financial results to the street are superseding the need to innovate and in fact, reinvest in the, in the infrastructure and the capabilities of the industry. And that conflict is ultimately gonna have to be managed. And the outcomes are gonna, in my opinion, ultimately create new, new transformations in that industry that will create new products and new services and new experiences for customers that should be dramatically bet better. And there are many financial organizations that are doing a great job with innovation and have, balanced, have, have figured that balance out, but there are still many more that have to. You know, about the, the quarterly, you know, monthly pressure, you know, even weekly that executives are under these days. What is your, you know, tip for how to really like deal with that and also, you know, be ahead as a leader? Every generation of leaders would say the same thing. It's a, it's a pressure packed lifestyle and you're always on and you're always engaged in, in, in helping your companies, you know, and your businesses perform better. Um, I think what's, what's changed is now it's a little more real time. Uh, the technology of our day draws you in to always be looking at your phones and getting information yep. and in, inbounds uh, in terms of in, in information and questions that you need to answer. And then the world is reactive. You know, there's that need to hit the pause button occasionally and be thoughtful before you're you know, reacting to, to the current challenges that are raised in your organization. Most senior executives are able to do that. The stress is unrelenting. I think it's put a burden on senior leadership that in many respects, a lot of people are not ready for. And it does, I, I will say, you have to go through a, prepar a preparatory period to get ready for what is expected at the sea level. It isn't something that you, you know, that someone all of a sudden is thrust into. And then you're truly a rookie. And it's almost like being a rookie in baseball. You have your rookie season and very few are outstanding, but occasionally there's one. You know, generally it, it's a long-term career and you have to believe that you're going to be contributing over a long-term period and you have to take the time to learn the lessons, the deep lessons that people have learned before you, people who are colleagues can teach you, and that the industry really needs you to, to, to learn and develop and continue to learn and develop as a leader at the sea level to become a great leader at that level. So it's not something everyone's really prepared for yeah. when they first get thrust into that kind of a role. Yeah, that's a really good point. So here at the assembly, that we're lucky enough to have you join amongst all these C-suite executives, what has been you know, one of the key takeaways or things that you've really enjoyed about being here at the Assembly? Everyone I've interacted with has been a, a lot of fun to talk to, learn about you know, their companies, the, the journey they're on, the work they're doing. You can see the, the passion and excitement in just about every individual who's here. From my perspective, I was actually stunned by how many people came up to me after my talk last night and really appreciated 
the perspectives. And, you know, I'm thrilled to do that. And hopefully, you know, they can get at least one kernel of insight from every talk, which was, was always my goal when I came to something like this. And uh, it really, uh, I think this kind of a, a, these kinds of sessions enable that through networking, enable that through, you know, onstage conversations as well, which is, you know, very valuable. How valuable do you think it is for the executive you know, under all the stress and pressure we were talking about to you know, get out of the office and come to an assembly you know, like this? You can do a couple of things. You can be overwhelmed by the pressure and never leave your office, which is you, you'll never develop as a senior executive that way. You have to see what the rest of, and, and hear what the rest of the world is doing and how they're doing it because those different experiences add to your collection of experiences as a leader and in some instances influence how you then go back and lead your organizations, drive the next outcome or work with colleagues. And all of that is you know, part of the, the constant education of a senior executive. We're about six months away from a new decade. And there's obviously, you know, there's new technologies coming up all the time, as you mentioned. You know, there's so many great companies. Is there one technology you know, looking ahead that you really see as like the game changer? That's a really good question. I mean. You know, the world would say, well, AI and, and yeah. everyone's centered on AI and machine learning and what it's now doing. And I would tell you that we've been doing AI and machine learning for 40 years. We've just never had the scale up capability of cloud um, that allows you to truly solve the world's problems with AI and actually make it come to life in a way that it hasn't in the past. Um, supercomputers just didn't do it. And, yeah. you know, cloud and being able to knit technologies together. I think it's a confluence of the technologies of the day. We're, you know, all of a sudden we have these mobile devices which have more horsepower than anything I've had in data centers over the, you know, 30 years ago. You have the cloud and you have AI, but now it's really a question of what people really do with it uh, and how they uh, deploy that for both good and to really be, you know, enhancers to solving the world's problems. Um, I see it in the healthcare space where AI can actually be a great support tool. As I've always said to, to physicians, one of them was the top in their class and everyone else graduated med school and you can't differentiate them. They're all physicians. They're all great. Uh, and they've all worked extremely hard, but um, I can, you know, with AI, you can make them all top graduates, right? You can, there's so much insight that's out there that they can't read, but AI can help them understand and then really truly deliver the benefit of that to patients in finance. Um, making the financial services industry more approachable, easier, more easily accessible, more convenient for the the customer can really dramatically change that experience. And then there's the whole, you know, the whole other side of the business where operations and call centers and all the other things that are part of every one of our businesses are about to change again through these technologies, which, you know, is extremely exciting, at least from my perspective for the next decade. Yeah. And so you've led, you know, transformation in some of the biggest companies, you know, Kaiser, AIG. If you had to pick one, what is, you know, almost your proudest, you know, accomplishment through those transformations? I think it's when you see the people in the organization make the, not only the transformation, but the outcome of the transformation, their personal passion. And you can see them take on the pride that ultimately is the pride of the company that depicts the enterprise to everyone we engage with, it takes on a life of its own. It's not about me or you or, or any one, one person, but it's truly about people in the organization taking that on and then frankly making it even better because it's now theirs. And that's really exciting because transformation isn't about one person, it's about an entire organization. 
and the power of all the people in the organization and, and what they can do with an, either a new toolkit or capability or set of services and then what they do next with it. So last question, what is your, you know, again, looking ahead, uh, what is your number one tip to the C-suite executive both today and also, you know, looking ahead to next year and beyond? My number one tip for C-suite. I would just say, this is an expression I've used for a long while. We're all colleagues in service to our customers and our, and our other constituents. And as colleagues, we have an obligation to deliver the very best our firms can deliver. Phil Fasano, thank you very much for joining us here at the Digital Enterprise and FSI Transformation Assembly in Miami. It was an absolute honor to have you here and thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure to listen and subscribe to our podcast exclusively on iTunes and SoundCloud to get the inside scoop from top execs in the world of digital transformation. Our next Digital Enterprise and FSI Transformation Assembly takes place on November 13th and 14th, 2019. Head on over to mill-all.com for more information.